From Vancouver, Canada to the masses. From Vancouver, Canada to the masses. The Wonder Brand Show, hosted by Jeremy Brand, will bring you the best in pop culture. Boom! Episode 23 of the Wonder Brand Show. This is a guy that I've wanted to get on the show since episode one. I think I hit him up numerous times and just never came to fruition. Finally, I sent the message. He said, let's do it, brother. Uh, I'm joined by (laughs) (laughs) co-founder... Co-founder and CEO at Daily Hive, Karm Sumal. Thanks for joining me today, Karm. It's been a long time coming. Dude, yeah, it has been a while. I know you've been trying to get me on for a while. I mean, yeah, uh, let's just say I'm busy. <laughs> a, busy is an understatement. I mean, it's not an excuse, but, you know. Oh, no, I, I bet. It is what it is. Uh, it's definitely, uh, you, you got a lot going on. And judging from your social media, I mean, I see that you, you've hit the Vancouver protests. The Black Lives Matter thing uh, is big in the world right now. Uh, very, very big down in uh, our cousins or whatever you want to call them down to the south, uh, our American friends. Yeah. They're, they're having a tough time down there. And uh, it seems like you're pushing it a lot up here in Canada and in Vancouver, uh, not necessarily on Daily Hive, but on your social media, and, and you have a great platform for that. So just talk about why you feel the need to push this so much. Uh, you know, I've got a, you know, we've got a voice, so I look at it in a, in, a, in a way where, like, if I have a platform to kind of, you know, raise my voice and say you know what i think is the right thing to do why not use it um you know at the end of the day like i don't know it's it's, it's just like yeah i got a voice well, i wanted to you know say my part as a company i mean whatever i say it's kind of as echoes what the company's thinking anyways it's just you know they have their other news that they gotta write and all that stuff but i think we've done a decent job in doing what we can right now but it also really revealed a blind spot you know for us even as an organization um on like i was like dude like we don't cover anything like forget the protest aside that's the current event but like beyond the current event once the protests are done what are we going to do right so that self-reflection i thought was very very important that makes sense and obviously it isn't just a now it's a forever thing, and it has been a forever thing, but we're just seeing it in the limelight. And it, and it only happens when things are brought to the limelight. Like, if George Floyd was not on video, if that was never captured, none of this would be happening. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of crazy that it took, you know, George Floyd to be the one to get it to this level. When you really think about it, this has been going on for a while um, and by while, I mean, like, you know, you can go, you know, as far back as I can remember, is like really Rodney King is what I remember, but yeah. I was only like 10 or 12 at the time. So the context of what that actually meant, and my parents being immigrants, they didn't know nothing either. Like, they didn't know how, like, you know, they're, they probably faced the, the racism themselves, not to that level, but like some sort of racism. So they don't really didn't have that context and really understand what, what it's like to be black in America, right? So for me, you know, not necessarily, you know, being black or in America, but, you know, growing up around that culture in terms of, you know, on TV, through music, to through comedy, uh, you know, through uh, movies and all that stuff, like, you know, you kind of get a sense of, you know, even though you're, you're like not part of the culture, but you feel like you understand at least the culture, you know, that's conveyed to you. 
but you don't really get a deep-rooted understanding of what it's like to be that individual. Um, and that really just requires a lot of just, like, learning on your own, right? And, like, nowadays it's pretty easy to learn because the resources are right there in front of you So you, if you choose to, you know, use them, which is the Internet. And you can read up on the Black Panthers. You can read up on, you know, uh, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, you know, and, and there's some great individuals nowadays that you can help with you know, when they're talking like, or even then go to like the Tupacs and go back to his old interviews and the way they were talking about it or like public enemy and even NWA, like you see what they're saying and they might articulate it in a different way, but they're all saying the same thing. You know, they're oppressed. They have the systemic, systemic, like racism is real and you can kind of dig further. So I don't know, like it's just, you know, <laughs> do you, do you feel that it, it, there's just so much. For sure it is. And do you feel like because you are the head of such a large company that you you have to watch exactly what you're saying? I mean, obviously you're coming from the right side of things. And we saw what happened. I don't know if you saw, but what happened with the guy who created CrossFit, he got pretty screwed for a dumb tweet that he sent out. Um, but do you feel yeah, like, you, do you feel like, do you feel like, like, yeah, ridiculous. But do you feel you like you have to think about what you send out in your tweets prior to doing it? To be honest, like, yeah, <laughs> but, you know, like, in reality, like, I, I mean, I feel like, you know, I mean, what that guy said, obviously, was in poor taste. Did he mean it? I don't know. I'm not in his head. I don't know if he's a racist, you know, like, you know, I think, is he because he said that? Was he just thinking who's being funny? I don't know, right? Like, he shouldn't have said it, but sometimes, like, I don't know. I feel like we're so quick to just, you know, harp on individuals and not really get a, in a sense, like educate and be like, look, man, this is what you did. And this is why it's wrong. And there's repercussions to it. Sure. But like, can we not have discussions sometimes about it? Like, I, like if we go back to anybody's past, you know, it doesn't matter what race you are, man, woman, you know, child, whatever, right. Anything. You've probably said some dumb shit. Yeah. That you regret. But like you regret it now and you probably forgot about it, you know, to be honest, because if that's not what you are today, you know, you're not really that's not top of mind. Like who was the Kevin Hart I think had that happen to him recently with the Oscars and you know, they're trying to do that to Chappelle forever. Um, you know, and he just doesn't give a shit. Um (laughs) you know, but you know, you like I don't know, I I I'm all like I get it. It's you know, we're an era of hypersensitivity. Um, that was obviously said in, like, horrible what he said. I think it's stupid. Like, I mean, come on, dude. Like, like, how can you think that was funny? Like, exactly. But, you know, like, it's just like stupidity. But at the same time, it's just like, I don't know. Like, is, does this person have a history of this? Is, is this his first time doing this? And he just like, I don't know. I mean, I like to see if, like, you know, there's, there's always like, I don't know, a good and a human you like to think they just misguided and maybe this could be a teachable moment for him. And this is one way for him to learn, um, obviously, because <laughs> he's getting kicked and booted off. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's just like you got to always be careful, I guess. But like, I mean, obviously what I'm saying is it's like I'm against, you know, police brutality. And if someone is, a, is, is like, hey, you can't, why are you saying that, you know, or what you're saying is wrong. Like, you know, I mean, we'll let people decide, but 
I don't want police, you know, beating on anybody, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, we saw it the other day as well with the older 76-year-old gentleman. I I think he was a Caucasian guy who got pushed over by the police, bleeding out of his ears. So it's it's not just happening to the African-Americans. It's it's happening to everyone. No, and it's not an isolated incident. And I think that's what the issue is, right? Like, if it was a one-time thing, you'd be like, okay, one cop, poor judgment, he snapped, maybe he had a bad day. You know, I don't know. But it's like, this shit happens Exactly, like and I think, I think people uh, are a bit blind to the fact that thinking that it doesn't happen here in Canada or here in Vancouver, because I also saw a video of police officers in downtown Vancouver with a bunch of 14- and 15-year-old skateboarders, and, and they were strangling them and choking them and, and whatnot. It does happen oh. in our own backyards. Yeah, I mean, it happens, and that's maybe the same extent as America, um, but, I mean, you know what, if we talk to indigenous communities, uh, it might be a different story, you know? Um, I don't know, like, if you ask them, I mean, this might be going on in their world that we just don't know about. It. Yeah. Like, how much of it goes unreported? That's the other thing. Like, think about it, like, this shit could be happening, and someone else has to be there to record it for people to believe that this actually happened. Because otherwise, you're just going to take the cop side of it. That's exactly it. And I mean, we're taught to obey the law and think that the police officers are doing their jobs. But I mean, when you see stuff yeah. like this, there there are, I mean, there are the bad apples and the bad seeds, right? So not all of them are bad. And we can't say that they're all bad because there are good cops out there. Yeah, but the good cops are, you know, if, let's just say the good cops outweigh the poor cops. There should be no issue with the the good cops being like, "Yo, this guy sucks. Let's get him off force." Yeah, I saw. You know? Yeah, like, that's stand that's up like for that that side. And, I think Chris Rock said something know. about uh, pilots. <laughs> uh, you can't have a bad pilot who decides, "Oh yeah, I'm not going to land this plane properly," or so. I'm paraphrasing, but something like that. <laughs> I remember that it was from Tambourine, I believe it was. Uh, his um, latest Netflix special. Yeah. Um, and he was basically saying the same thing. You can't have a few bad apples. There's some professions where you can't have a few bad apples. And cops is one of them. It definitely isn't. All right, let's move on to bigger and brighter things. And bigger, I mean Daily Hive, which started out as Van City Buzz, which I was lucky enough to be a part of for a little snippet of my uh, writing career there. And... Uh, <laughs> I thank you for that, but I want to go way back. Like, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there, you've told the story, how the thing got created, you know, probably your parents' basement or something like that. But for the people that don't know that yeah. are listening to this show for the first time, how did you come up with this thing? What was going through your head? Were you a guy like, oh, yeah, I want to create a website just out of the blue? Like, what happened? How did this uh, beauty of a child become? So, yeah, like, I mean, I'd love to say it was like some sort of like, crazy like idea that i've been carving out for a while but it was really like me and my buddy manny who co-founded it um you know we were playing in my parents basement a video <laughs> game and literally like we were like hey how do we you know we need like i want to make some money on the side we were both doing these jobs we, you know that we're making some money but not enough to be like you know if i want to go out i can just go out um so you know we're like how can we make some extra scratch on the side and we're like well you know I hear this, and, and this is like, we're like, oh, people are making money off the internet. Let's figure out a way to make some money off the internet. And, um, you know, for us, I was like, well, I don't know anything about the internet other than how to browse it. Um, so I don't think you can make money browsing the internet. 
Um, unless maybe you work for Facebook or some shit. <laughs> You're like paid yeah. peanuts to like, you know, uh, see what's good and bad on the internet and just like delete some shit. But um, so we looked at it and I was just like, well, maybe we can make some money off of these the passive advertising through Google. And we're like, well, in order to do that, you need to start a website. And then we're like, well, what do we write about? Well, we're, you know, we, we kind of came up with some ideas and stuff. And we started like with like a random uh, website um, that, uh, you know, it was just like a, it was just like a random blog of like this dumb shit. <laughs> you know, if I found something funny on the internet, I would post it with like my commentary on it. And the, it was probably riddled with grammatical errors, spelling mistakes, because we were just joking around at the time just to kind of get work up the kinks. And then I remember, you know, after that, we're just like, you know, this isn't going to be sustainable, but let's try to write about the city. Because we always thought that, you know, and, and this kind of ties in a little bit to what we were talking about earlier. We always felt that the media in Vancouver, you know, the mainstream media, didn't really speak to minorities. It didn't really speak to the people that I knew, the Asians, the Filipinos, the Latinos, and the brown people that grew up in, you know, in East San, Southeast San. So I was just like, well, let's, you know, let's see if we can carve out a niche and we can talk about it and, 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 and kind of try to create like this um, voice for anyone under the age of 30 that not necessarily isn't white, right? But if anyone under the age of 30 and with people that we kind of knew and grew up with and tell stories about that. And, you know, that was the idea and the genesis of it. But obviously the people, you know, it's kind of hard to tell stories when you're not like a journalist and you don't know how to go about doing these things. So it was a lot of learning on the fly. Um, but that was a, kind of how where we kind of came up with the idea. We want to make some extra money on the side. Didn't know what we were passionate about. Found out that, you know, there's a void in the Vancouver market. We love the city so much. How you know, old were you guys at the time? Pardon? How old were hmm? you guys at the time? Oh, let's see. That's 12 years ago. So what am I? 38 minus 12, 26. Okay. So you guys were... Yeah, like, so I was pretty old. Yeah, so you were still working. What were you doing at the time yeah, as, I mean, as I, a job? I was delivering pizza, I was delivering pizzas and on the weekends, and I was working... Uh, Monday to Friday at um at Blend Coffee at the head office doing bookkeeping. Okay. So I was like an accountant. I'd say not even bookkeeping, like junior junior account. So I had two gigs, but you know, I, I like I said, I wanted to make money for and sure. And in order to do that, like you know, my first job didn't pay much. Blends didn't. I mean, uh, I would say it's probably minimum wage at the time, but I had no experience, so I took it. And there were great people. Um, and then, you know, the pizza place, it was like, it's just like a hole in the wall in East End, you know, Indian dudes own it. And <laughs> it was just fun. Like, I just like, I, I did it for five years and I just, they just kind of became like family and shit. But like, I just loved doing it. Cause it was like, I got to drive around in the car and listen to some music and deliver pizza. So it was like, and I'm getting paid to do it because I like driving. So I was like, oh, that's easy. <laughs> hole in the wall so, pizza you know, joints are the best, man. <laughs> hole, in, hole in the wall pizza joints are the best. I mean, here, uh, East, East Van Supreme if Pizza. Ever, that's where I eat, it, man. That, check it out. Every Friday night, I get my huh? pizza from Supreme. Oh, so you get it from Supreme? Well, old, you know, that's the shit. Old oven, buddy. Old oven. <laughs> 
dude it's so good yeah it, uh, it, i still i still like i live in the west end now but i still go drive out to supreme every once in a while because they won't deliver out here just to pick it up and see the guys <laughs> it, i find it sketchy sometimes though with the amount of guys that are in the back <laughs> oh dude you know how busy those guys are holy shit it's like i was surprised at the amount of money that these guys were printing on friday saturday night oh i bet like they were like they, they have to now they're at the point where pick up the phones and they just like they, they they don't even pick up the phone for an hour sometimes yeah because they can't handle the volume it's ridiculous insane. yeah and, and i mean you know these guys are making good money but they're still driving around in their beat up toyota corollas dude they drive around in a toyota corolla you know they're they're super wealthy i like you know as well but they also would wear the same clothes every day to work they're not flashy no nice watches you know, the exact opposite of how their children and like me. Oh, yeah. Like, I ain't got no money sometimes. And I'm still like, yeah, I'm going to buy a watch. And these guys are like, nope, I'm going to go and put my money to another property. And really, they're just thinking about how they're going to build wealth for the next generation. For sure. Of their family, which is an amazing thing that, you know, it's just the immigrant mentality. And every, every you know, lineage has that when they come to a new country, right? You know, even, even like the Irish, yeah. you know, European settlers, when they first came. They were doing the same thing. They weren't buying flashy shit. It was the second, the third, and the fourth generations that were able to kind of like benefit off that. Look at that. That's sort of, you know what? Sort of guiding me in a different direction here, but that's sort of what Van City Buzz has done for some of, you know, the journalists in, in the local community. Do you remember the first few writers that you had for the site? Like, how did that all come about? You and Manny created this thing. You were writing random pieces. You ended up putting up stuff and you wanted to be the voice for the people. How did it come to be that you got those first few writers for the site? Because obviously it was generally unknown at the time. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, it was just Twitter, man. I was on social media like a beast. And, you know, at that point, um, I think Crystal Kwan, I don't know if you remember her, but... yeah, yeah. She she was in PR at the time and and we were tweeting. She started to want you know write her own blog and I was like why don't you just I was like man we we could use a female voice. It's just two brown guys right now. Let's get a you know female voice in here, an Asian voice that would help. And she she brought a different background to the business and the business side like the, the PR side which I knew nothing about and I learned a lot from her and 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 whatnot. So you know bringing her into the fold was she was one of the first ones and then, you know, I remember. I don't know if you remember Paul David Eskew. I know that. I remember um, the name. No, you can't forget that name. That guy no. was like always <laughs> constantly selling. So it was Paul, there was Justin Long who would write some articles for us, um, who also helped develop our website and, and, and stuff. Um, you know, we had like from 2008 to 2012, a lot of just like people come through that just wanted to get their voice out there. Um, it was amazing. I, thought, I still look back at those days and it was just like, the most fun because we were just like it was it wasn't a business at that time it was just we were nobody was making money you know we weren't you know even though that was our intent but we didn't know how to make money we were still trying to carve out our voice and i remember taking out loans yeah personal loans to keep a thing going that i didn't even know one day was going to become successful it was just something that i loved and i was like it cost me 10 grand a year to do something that i loved I'll deliver pizzas and that'll make up for it. And yeah. I can still do this. You know what I mean? Like, so for sure it was, yeah, it was, a, it was interesting. The early days were like fun. 
That uh, I asked Rob Williams that last week. Actually, I, I said, you know, because he was around in the Van City Buzz days, the late days, and and I asked him what yeah. what was something from back then that you miss uh, that isn't around in this day and age, and and he said he the one thing he missed was the name. Yeah, yeah, the name. I remember when we changed it. It was weird. <laughs> it, it it was weird. That's for damn sure. I remember, like, I was like, I remember walking to the office that day and at that time we actually had an office and i remember uh walking to the office in it and and, and that walk didn't feel the same there's just something about everything around me just felt weird and it was like it's, i don't even know how to describe it man but i it didn't feel right like it maybe felt right but it felt weird for sure you know like and and for the longest time like it's just like you know you're changing like i don't know you're changing your baby's name it's weird I hear you. You said the office there. Talk about that a little bit, because obviously going from your parents' basement to probably a rental place to something much bigger, how did that progression come about? And what made you think, hey, we need an office space instead of just these people that are, you know, freelancing from their basements as well? Um, you know, at a, at a certain point, we, we, you know, we had some freelancers. I think we didn't have an office until like, I'm trying to remember now. What is it? Probably like 2014, I think, is when we got our first, like, it was like maybe 800 square feet of office space. Um, and I remember because Kenneth and Farhan at the time were, like, you know, working full time. And and then we had a couple of moments, like, well, you know, instead of just meeting in a, at the network hub, which was our first quasi office, um, you know, I was like, we need a space that's our own. But I was like, man, I can't afford $2,000 a month in rent or whatever it was. <laughs> I look back at it now. I was like, "Fuck you, me!" Opposite for two thousand dollars a month right now, and I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, but but at the time, you know, it's a, it was a big expense. I was like, "That's a twenty-four thousand dollars liability, man." That we're signing on for five years, guys. Like, you know, that's a hundred thousand dollars or more. Actually, my math is so off. It's like over a hundred thousand dollars that we would owe if this doesn't happen. We're on the hook for it. But we had to do it at that point. You know, sometimes you gotta jump in. So. It was just that turning point, I think, you know, when we thought we would be in that office forever, you know, and we were like, oh, we can put eight people in here. And then we had to, um, then, you know, the snowball effect just kind of happened, you know, 2014, 2013, 2014, we started making some money. Finally, we were able to pay and bring on more writers full time. And then we brought in a salesperson full time. And like, then it was starting to like take shape, like, okay. There's an organization being developed here. And it happened so organically. Like none of it was like, we didn't have any like investment. We didn't have any, you know, debt financing, like a loan from the bank or, yeah. or a small business. It was fully funded through monies made through the organization or, or personal loans to myself and Manny. Um, and it was like, you know, we loved doing it. So we just kept going. So at what point did you realize that this baby had taken off and, and you realized, hey, I, I can quit Blends and I can quit Supreme Pizza? What what point was it? Do you remember the exact time where you were like, that's it, we've turned the corner? Um, You know, it wasn't an easy decision for me because I had a kid and I was married and I had a mortgage. and So the decision to quit a job that paid happened pretty well at Blends. At that time, I was a controller, so like I had moved up the ranks. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a, I was like, look, I don't, I don't need to make the same money I'm making at Blend, but I need to make somewhat enough as a folk because I have other individuals to support. You know, they've supported me by, you know, allowing, uh, you know, us to build this thing, right? And now I, I can't 
go back on that. But, you know, Sharon at the time, like my wife, she, she pushed me. She's like, do this, do this. She's like, we've built this so far. You got to see this through. So see, I was kind of like trying to take, like I was, I was, you know, if I was single, had no obligations, I would have quit my job and, and right away. But, you know, I had to take a calculated risk. Um, and I think it was like 2014 when I quit my job at Blends. So I was running this behemoth full time, you know, working eight hour shifts at Blends and then doing another like six, seven, eight hours uh, a day, you know, building back the buzz, working with the team during the midnight and then trying to be a half decent father and husband, you know, I, I don't think I was that great at it, but like, <laughs> you know, it, but that's the reality. I mean, you know, at a certain point, something had to give and I, so, I mean, you know, it, it is what it is, but I mean, it just, it required so much of my energy and financially, you know, I needed to make a certain amount of money just to pay the bills. So uh, I don't want to give up on my dream. No, I, of course, and, and you didn't do that. And you you said at the time it was still Van City Buzz, so you made the transition. The name change to Daily Hive happened. Uh, let me know about that a little bit because I want to know how many different names, like not exactly, obviously, but how many different names were mulled through the heads before you came to Daily Hive? How long did it take to think of the name uh, and then to officially make the name change? Because uh, you guys had like abbreviations for Van City Buzz. You had a little logo and then... We went, yeah. bam, the change to Daily Hive. And and for me, it almost seemed like it was overnight. I, I know there was like a tease that something was happening, but it was like, mm. bam, this is new. This is different. I don't, know yeah. if, I don't know if I like it. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, to be honest, when you're so used to something, when you change it, it takes a good while to get used to it. I'm fully used to now Daily Hive and the way it looks and everything. It looks, it looks polished. It looks like a web. Like, you know, look... It lives up to what we are now. For sure. Thought, like, you know, in terms of, but like, yeah, I mean, so we had probably had like hundreds of names that we kind of mulled over probably, you know, honestly, but like for me, I was like Vansity Buzz, Vansity Buzz. But our goal is what? We're trying to do this as a network of cities. So when you're a network of cities and we're going with the B analogy here, even though we try to not actually, you know, go with the B analogy in our branding at all, but like in terms of the words, I was like, well, what happens in a, in, in, in where's all the buzz happening? It happens in the hive, right? Like in the hive. So like, is there, is there something with hive that we could do? And we always called, um, I think we had like, I don't know, we called one of the rooms, I think hive, something, the hive or something like that, where all the ideas were being made. Um, so I was just like, you know, hive, okay, hive, something hive, something hive, because it can't be just hive. I feel like that's already exists. You know, somebody's already got that website, domain name, and everything, right? So you also have to think of all those things. Like, is the domain available? Is yeah. It, is the social handles available and all that shit? So we looked at it, and I remember, like, you know, we mulled over it about it. We were thinking either it's Hive Daily or Daily Hive. Um, and, you know, I don't know. We probably put the two to a vote, and obviously Daily Hive won. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, it makes sense. You know, we write daily, and we have all these cities, and we're creating this buzz. As you said, all these cities, yeah, it's branched out to all over nationwide. It's crazy how big it's become. Uh, did you? Was this the goal? When, how long did it take for you to decide? You know what? We're not just going to be Vancouver anymore. Uh, I got bored 
um, to be honest, with Vancouver because I felt like come 2014, 2015, I was like, the team's running Vancouver, right? You don't need me no more. Like, what am I doing here? Like, you know, I can go out and do some sales and but we got a sales team. You know, uh, I can do the accounting when I was doing the accounting. I hated it, <laughs> but I did it. They wouldn't require me to do like, you know, I was so good at accounting at that point. I could do all the accounting in a day. I was like, what else? You know, so then I was like, okay, well, I'm the CEO, right? What does the CEO do? <laughs> like, I don't know. I had to learn about that shit. So then I learned about all like, okay. And then I was like, okay, well, as a leader of a company, I want to see where we can take this. Let's see if we can expand. Let's, 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 let's get a little uncomfortable here, right? We're getting too comfortable, guys. Let's get a little uncomfortable. So, you know, I had the idea of like, let's test out Calgary. I feel like it's a market that's small enough. We can test it out and we'll see what happens. Right. And everybody was, blah, 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 we're all on board and we're going to, let's do this. And then when, when push came to shove, we needed people to actually do the work to expand. Everybody was just kind of like dragging their feet, you know, um, and, and, you know, taking the sweet ass time trying to find fucking writers and shit. And I was just like, look, man, stampede's happening. I want to get in before the stampede. I have an idea of like, all the articles we can write. If you can't find someone before the stampede, I'm going to fucking just do this shit. <laughs> I'm going to make sure, and I'm going to write all the articles that I have in mind, and I'm just going to put them up, and you guys can waste your time editing it after they're live, because I'm not waiting for you guys no more, right? Because you can't tell me that you're going to do something and then not do it. That's the biggest, like, for me, biggest pet peeve, pet peeve in business. Someone says they're going to do something, and then they just flat out don't do it. To me, you're lying. Just don't tell me you can't do it. I'd much rather you tell me you're not capable of doing it or you don't want to do it. Yeah. And then I can be like, okay, let's have a talk. This is why I think we should do it. But if you agree to something, we're fucking doing it. Right? So, hold on one second. Yeah. Somebody's calling me. Sorry about that. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so like, you know, so then I just started off, I, I hired this writer, wasn't the best writer, but she was a great, good, good person. You know, the web development man, he was making sure that the web developer got the website ready. We had the branding. All we did was just call it Calgary Buzz and fucking set of blue. We made it red because of the flames, right? Calgary Flames. Like, like, I was like, this is like, let's just go. Let's roll. And then we just went with it. And then eventually when people saw me, just like, like, holy shit, he just started this. He's doing it. Oh, what the fuck? Like the writer's not good. They're not. Fun. I was like, yeah, I told you I'm going to do it. <laughs> now, if you want to change it, go ahead. All yours. And then I, then after that, I, you know, a few months after it launched, we ended up uh, canning the writer because um, it was very slow and we needed things to be faster. Yeah. And and then I started writing again during Christmas because nobody else would do it because it's Christmas. Why would they? Um, and I was started writing again, and I was like, man, I'm getting more page views doing the writing than when this individual was working on it full time. And he was like, how the fuck does this happen? And I was like, really? It's just like, it's what we're writing about. You can write 10 articles, but if nobody wants to read those 10 articles, who cares? Agreed. Right? Yeah. I'll write the three or four articles that people will read. It's like having a pulse of the, of, the, of the city that we're in. And I wasn't even in Calgary, but I was able to obtain what the pulse was by just going online, on Twitter, and following people in Calgary seeing what everybody's talking about. And then from there, kind of dissect what the next article would be and what everybody's talking about. And I think Calgary was just on the cusp of a recession or they were in a recession at the time. And I was like, well, let's, let's see if I can find someone that's written an op-ed 
on what it's like to be a millennial in Calgary during the recession. I remember finding someone that had already written one on their blog, and I just reached out to her and said, hey, from Calgary Buzz, would love to share your article word for word, give you full credit, obviously, just want to share it. And she gave us a go-ahead, and I was like, all right, cool, that was easy. Didn't take that long. Maybe a couple of email exchanges back and forth, put that article up, did really well. And this is the kind of thing we need to do. So it was just eye-opening to me. Is like, We can do things. We just got to be committed to doing it and then do it. So and then from there, I was like, well, why stop at Calgary? Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. So you started as a guy who, who wrote everything when you created the site. Then you created Calgary Buzz and you were writing again. What's a day in the life of Karm Sumal look like now? When you have all these writing talent, you have people on the back end working. What You say you're busier than ever right now, but what's a day in the life look like for you? Uh, right now, a day in life is really just like making sure all units in the organization are talking to each other, cooperating. Um, people understand, you know, it's just dealing with a lot of it's just HR stuff. Um, you know, when you're talking to like a sales team, the mindset of a salesperson is so different from a mindset of a, uh, of a writer. And then when you go into like a marketing person or a finance person, it's like really trying to, you know, I go into like tough ass conversations, but I have to like really quickly, like, um, shift my mindset from like, um, you know, like, um, uh, okay. I just talked to a bunch of journalists. This is how they think and how they need me to, you know, talk and, and, and react and whatever and come up with a plan. But now I have a sales meeting with the sales team and I got to get into a zone within like two minutes to go into another zone, mental shift, and now get ready to talk to the sales team and then put, put everything together and then bring everyone together. And kind of be like, this is where we want to go guys. Let's keep, keep pushing towards our North star. This is where we're trying to head. This is what we want to be. And these are the things we need to do to get there. But obviously that's just internal shit. Then there's external stuff that you got to deal with. Um, that on top of it complicates matters, you know? And right now it's the pandemic. And sometimes your ideas have to get, you know, tweaked and modified because of the external circumstances. So it's really just like, honestly, man, meeting. It's, it's just meeting lots of people, networking, either internally meeting people, making sure they're okay, networking externally now with like bigger, like individuals that I never thought I would even have a chance to talk with. As like, why would anybody want to talk to, you know, this fucking brown kid? Um, what does he have to offer? But now we have something to offer. So it's like, building new relationships and bigger relationships so that we can kind of grow this um, brand and, and this website even further, not only in Canada, but I want to be big in America. I got a couple more, a few more questions for you here before I let you go then. Um, over yeah, no so 12 years, this, this bad boy has been rolling. What, what's one thing or the biggest memory that you have that sticks out in your head? Uh, the fondest memory that you have over the, course of the last 12 years i guess i would say whoa uh <laughs> okay if you could just pinpoint throw one pinpoint down i i think it's to me still it's like pre-olympics 2009 or during the olympics even getting up every morning six o'clock before i go to work and you know um writing stories about uh what's happening in the city that day. I remember just getting up early, forcing myself to get up at six. First thing I do is I just flip open the computer, start writing shit, and then scheduling out everything for the day. 
Um, I, I, I still go back to that. And those days on my parents' dining table, uh, at the time my wife was pregnant uh, with our child. And, you know, I remember, you know, just, you know, doing that. And I was still working at Blend. And then I was trying to enjoy the Olympics as well. Um, I remember that. I don't think anything, anything ever will probably, you know, beat that time for Vancity. But like, it was just like to me, it was at its purest and rawest for us. That it just reminds me of what it was and how we got there and what you know, what it took to get here. You know, it was painstakingly like being an outsider, never really being one with the traditional media and and covering it like that. It was interesting. It was fun. I got to ask then, you say, you know, waking up and, and sitting at your parents' dining room table. What the heck did your parents think? Because I know I know Indian families, they, they want their kids to go into, like, accounting or, or something like that. And you said you did. You were doing in accounting, junior accounting at Blends. Your parents must have thought yeah. you were crazy. Yeah, yeah. They, they, you know, they're super proud of me now because um, they think I'm, like, some sort of wealthy fucking motherfucker, but I'm not. <laughs> but, like, you know... They think I am because uh, so many people know of Daily High, so they just, you know, they put they put one and one together and think it equals two. But it, you know, really, you know, I was like, and I've been working harder than ever before. <laughs> um, but I, you know, they were not very supportive of when I told them I was going to quit my job. That's for sure. I mean, an Indian parent, you know, their whole life is to make sure their fucking kid follows the path, right? And they're not wired to understand what follow your passion means. That's not how they operate. They don't see the world that way. You know, my dad just, he, he was working 12 hour days, seven days a week for like 30 years. Never took a day off. You know, he wears my hand me down now. So, um, which is odd, you know, cause I was like, dude, just like, let me buy you some shit. Like every once in a while I will, but like, he likes to just, it's all he knows. And yeah, they weren't very like supportive, but at the end of the day, they, they weren't going to tell me not to do it. They also yeah. know my mentality is when someone tells me, Hey, don't do it. My inclination is like, what, what did you just say? Like, <laughs> no, I'm going to fucking do it now. Even if I don't want to do it, just out of like, just to prove, to prove a point, I'm going to do it. Of course. And, and it's stupid, but like, it's how I am. And I think that's what drove us. Cause so many people told us we're going to fail. <laughs> and you know, I'm just like, well, fuck you. I'll show you. We ain't gonna fail. You know. Yep. I I'm do. gonna do what we're gonna do. Of course. All right. Last week, your uh, sports editor Rob Williams was on the show, and he gave us a little sneak peek, a, a, a tidbit of inside the Daily Hive office. He said the coolest thing that you guys have there is the beer pong table. Uh, what's your coolest <laughs> thing that you think you guys have at the office? The coolest thing that we got. Man, I think, like, I don't know. Let's see. The coolest thing we got, I think, is we got this, like, mural of Michael Jordan in our in one of our boardrooms. It's the Jordan room. We call it the uh, Jumpman yeah. room. And to me, that's the coolest thing. I mean, one, because I'm just, I, I mean, I grew up a Bulls fan, obviously, and hence why I was like, fuck, if I can get one of my homies that knows how to, like, create shit to come in and commission a piece, why not? Um, and B is just like you know the drive and the energy that Jordan had. Like if you've seen the Last Dance, you oh, know what man. it's all about. Man, oh man. Um, no, I'm nowhere near that. But like it's it's to me, it's it's um, not enviable. What's the word? Admirable to see that. Yeah. You know, some people see it's kind of like I don't know, borderline psychotic. Sure, maybe. 
Um, but you know, when you need, if you want to rise to be better than most, you got to be a little nuts. <laughs> you can't, you don't get to the top by just doing what everybody else does. All right, my final question then on that. We saw Jordan. You don't, because the system ain't set up that way, right? Of course. System, you know, the system, system is set up like, yo, if you follow the rules, you'll be average, you know, maybe a little above average, which is nothing wrong with that either. Like, if that's what you want to do, that's to you, right? But yeah. if you want to win and you want to kind of, like, go further, you got you to gotta put in more than what the system requires of you. So you can't just do your nine to five. You got to do your nine to nine, your nine to midnight, seven days a week. You know, you eat, eat, breathe this shit. Like, to the point where it consumes you and it's not even healthy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I found out, you know, the hard way that it's not healthy to do this. But would I change anything? I don't know. Like, you know, I question it. I was like, I don't know. Like, you know? It's worked out. Know. It's worked out so far. Yeah, I mean, look, it's worked out in the eyes of everybody that they see on the outside. Everybody has their their struggles um, throughout, you know, building whatever "quote unquote" success looks like, right? Um, and you know, on the outside looking in, sure, looks like it was a great success story. <laughs> the path <laughs> to it is anything but easy. Um, it comes with a lot of a lot of sacrifices. You know, sometimes you pay the ultimate sacrifice. Sometimes, you know, and a lot of missed opportunities. Um, we look back and like, you know, we reflect and you're like, maybe I could have done things a little bit better and still got here. And it's probably the case, but you don't know any better at the time when you're in it, in the weeds. So, you know, yeah. All right, Carm, my final question for you then. You, you speak on Michael Jordan, you know, being a little crazy or pushing people and pushing himself and his teammates especially. Uh, you know, when he had opponents push against him he pushed back even harder and made himself that much better we saw that when you know Carl Malone won the MVP he went out there and had destruction in the playoffs I gotta ask you there have been plenty of copycats out there in the Vancouver media game there's lots of websites out there that tried to be Van City Buzz what were your thoughts when you saw those copycat websites for the first time Oh, like, I was like, bring it. Like, it's awesome. I, I you know, there, there's a lot of them I, I support. I was like, look, there's room for everybody. Um, you know, when you look at competition and stuff, like, I want to be number one. But it doesn't mean that you can come in and have a little fight, you know? I'm going to fight you. You're going to work hard for that spot. I'm not going to make it easy. So if you want it, you, we've got to really want it. And if you show it, fuck, eventually somebody else, like, you know, just like we came in and swooped in and became number one in B.C., you know, because the complacency from the, the old media, I was like, that's what I tell my team. I was like, we can't become, place, com- become complacent because what we did to others, others will do to us So or try to do to us. So we need to be always on our toes and, like, on the lookout and checking out, seeing what the competition is doing. Uh, you can't take anybody lightly, man. Uh, but I welcome it. It never was like, oh, what the fuck are these guys doing? Who do they think they are? Because, like, who the fuck were we? You know, makes sense. Makes Everybody sense. Everybody said the same shit about us. For sure, uh, Carm, man, it's been a pleasure. I, I truly appreciate having you on today, man. As I said, it's been a long time coming. I tried to get you on all the way since I started this podcast, episode one, back in the day. Uh, so I appreciate <laughs> I know, having I, you man, on. Man. I apologize. Just let people know where they can find you in the social media realm. I mean, you got a lot to say these days, and and let people know where they can find you. Uh, Twitter. Uh, at Carm Sumo, I think. 
<laughs> I should know that, I feel. And then on LinkedIn, I'm pretty, like, active as well. I, 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 those are my two main platforms, I think, right now, is LinkedIn and, and Twitter. All right, Carm. Just look up my lot, name, man. you'll find me. Yeah, yeah, you'll find him, and you'll find him uh, not writing these days over at dailyhive.com. <laughs> no, now you'll see me tweeting and, and then kind of making some of my company uh, teammates cringe at some of the stuff I might say sometimes, but how I feel, man, I just say it. Carm, thanks a lot, man. Have a good one. All right, buddy. Take care. You as well. All right, bye. Later. That was Carm Sumal. My goodness, as I said, a long time coming. I have wanted to have him on the show since episode one. So that was like three and a half years ago because I took a three-year hiatus. So, yeah. Awesome to have him on the show. Super cool. You can find him on Twitter as he said he thinks. No, he was right. It's Karm Sumal. K-A-R-M-S-U-M-A-L. He is the co-founder and CEO at dailyhive.com. If you don't know what that is, got to check out that site because it's pretty damn awesome. That does it for episode 23 of The Wonder Brand Show. I'm your host, Jeremy Brand. You can check me out on Twitter at jeremybrand604 and on Instagram at jeremy underscore 604 make sure you like subscribe follow us on all podcast networks itunes stitcher cast box if that's what it's called uh and rate us give me a five-star rating because this was a pretty kick-ass episode and interview with that folks i'm out